remember last season, I was a season ticket holder at Villa Park. And trust me, you just made more noise there than I heard for the whole of last season. So, <laughs> great start, guys. And um, uh, um, Pastor Christian, thank you so much for your generous and kind words. And um, it is tremendously exciting to, to be here and to just get a glimpse and a sense of what God is putting in your heart for this, this M1 corridor. Um, very, very excited. And, you know, God is doing a similar thing with me kind of on that kind of M6 corridor, kind of like runs straight the way through Birmingham. And we're looking at planting um, new stuff out and working with others and facilitating others to plant actually right across kind of various denominations. So it's just so good to kind of be here tonight and just to be part of things and just to catch the fire because there is a fire that you guys have and trust me I know that I'm giving tonight but I know I'm receiving I'm going to go back to my city on fire just like you are for your town here in Ilkeston and beyond so thank you thank you so much for um, your words a little bit about me Um, so as, as Christian said my name's Mike um, uh, I, I live in Birmingham. You can probably hear that my accent's a little further south, so I'm, I'm sort of born and brought up in Croydon. Um, uh, so um, that's great. Um, Jamaican parentage. My parents kind of came to Britain in the post-war period, kind of when a lot of people from Jamaica came over to help rebuild the country after the war. And, and my father was a head teacher. And so I grew up in a family where education was kind of really important. And I just assumed everyone had a great education. Um, and, and actually, when you began to go to school, you actually realised that some people really struggled with education. Um, and it wasn't a great experience for, for them. And when you go into secondary school and you see your friends getting excluded, and, and, and as it was said then, expelled. And, um, and it was kind of during my teenage years that I met Jesus, but I also became really, really politically and socially aware of lots of the issues that were going on in the community. That there was, in a sense, in where I grew up, there were two sides of town. There was the south side of town, and it was all very nice and comfortable, and everyone was getting on fine except that actually scratched beneath the surface and there were lots of people struggling. And there was a north side of town and there were actually some really deep issues of deprivation. And God did a work in my heart, both in bringing me to a point where I recognised my sin and accepted Jesus as saviour, but also I always had this nagging feeling that Jesus had something to say about the issues of the day. And that, you know, I wasn't just um, interested in pie in the sky when we die, but I wanted some meat on the plate while we wait. And that's where I was. And that's where I've always kind of been in my faith. And, uh, you know, when he came into pastorate as a young guy, 25 years old, kind of went to a northern town um, called Keithley near Bradford in the north of England, um, which was just a complete culture shock from coming from multicultural London.
children and move into a, a town that was really struggling from the sort of 1970s and 1980s deindustrialization that had taken place and serving in that community for 10 years, serving my movement more broadly, kind of as youth director um, in the Apostolic Church, which is quite similar to the AOG and the Elim um, in lots of ways. Um, and then more and more just being called to beyond the four walls of the church. And so as a result, some of us set up this charity called TLG, which works with children and young people who are excluded from school. And I'm going to say a little bit more about that a bit later. But more broadly, I found myself in this space where I actually had the opportunity to encourage the church to step forward confidently into the public square and to know that the church is making a huge and a massive difference and that we have a biblical imperative to do the same. And again, I'm going to say a little bit more about that tonight. But what I'm going to start off by doing is um, actually letting you just watch a little DVD, which is about what TLG does. And then I'm going to read a scripture and I'm going to dive into what I've got to say. So without further ado, thank you. expresses the, the two ways in which kind of um, TLG work. Um, yeah, sorry. Forgot that. Okay. Is it on? Great. Okay. I'll promise I'll use it. Okay. Isaiah 58. I'm going to read from Isaiah 58. And I'm reading from verse 5. Isaiah chapter 58 and verse 5. 
very relevant for this period as we enter into this Lent um, season. I know sometimes as Pentecostals we tend to do our fasting in the new year, um, uh, but, um, but, but traditionally it's the Lenten period that's the period of fasting. And, and God has some very interesting stuff to say through the prophet Isaiah to us about fasting, and I think these words are as relevant now today as they were when they were first spoken. Is this the kind of fast I've chosen? Only a day for a man to humble himself? Is it only to bow one's head like a reed and for lying on sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast? An acceptable day to the Lord? Is not this the kind of fast I've chosen? To loosen the chains of injustice, to untie the cords of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, to break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe him and not turn away from your own flesh and blood? Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will appear quickly. Then your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call, and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help, and he will say, here I am. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and the malicious talk, and if you spend yourself on behalf of the hungry, and satisfy the need of the oppressed, then Your light will rise in the darkness. Your night will become like noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land. And he will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden. Like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins. And will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called repairer of broken walls and restorer of streets with dwellings. I don't know about you, but I want to be a repairer of broken walls. I want to be a restorer of streets with dwellings. Isn't it incredible that, you know, over the last sort of 30 or 40 years, we've developed all kinds of social policy about what good community looks like. And here, some some 2,700 years ago, God gives us a blueprint through his prophet as to what good community looks like. And God being at the heart of what that looks like as well. What I love about this scripture is, is that there is a sense that our personal faith and our relationship with God is important but it is also intrinsically linked to our relationship with our community, with our neighbour, and with the person that we live next to. And so in this scripture, you see a coming together of our personal spirituality, fasting and prayer and dedication and communion with God, but also our social responsibility 
that we cannot say that we love the God kind of vertically that we can't see and say that we have no care and no concern for the brother and the sister horizontally that we can see that is in need. And I really struggle with people who manage to kind of do their faith like that. That somehow they can love the God that they can't see, but the brother and sister that they can see, well, they don't want anything to do with them. Um, They've got themselves into their own problems, and that's their problem. I'm all right, Jack. That is not the kind of gospel that God has called us to. It's not the Jesus who has saved us. The Jesus who has saved us has saved us so that we might be salt and light in the world. And so I constantly find myself asking this question. How do we speak the gospel in ways that enables us to follow it up with action? And how does the action, how does the stuff that we do in the community open up the opportunity for us to share our faith with credibility. One of the things I'm so tremendously excited about in the church that I believe that over the last 10 to 15 years, perhaps 15 years, there's been a real increase in the credibility of the church. At one time, people would say, well, the church is good for nothing. The only thing the church can talk about is either women in leadership or homosexuality. But that has changed because all of a sudden, particularly in the last 10 years, where we've seen the rolling back of the state and we've suddenly seen needs in the community appear and our local politicians and our central government politicians not knowing what to do. Guess who has stepped into the breach? It's been the Church of Jesus Christ. Who has been running our food banks over the last seven, eight, nine years? It has been the church. For a matter of fact, we don't even have to think about the last um, 10 years or so. We go back 100, 120 years and we see actually the first social services that were developed in this nation. Guess who they were developed by? It was the Salvation Army. It was the church. Many of our hospitals, many of our schools were developed by Christians. Our our probation service, we were talking earlier uh, uh, about the prison service before the meeting. I was talking with Pastor Christian. The, 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 The probation service was developed by Christians. What happened in the 20th century is, is that the, the, the state, the, the welfare state grew, and that's a great thing, and the church stepped back, and it allowed the, the state to, to do what the church once did. And that's fine because we've got that universality. But suddenly we come into the, the 21st century, and there is a, a squeeze on services, and there is this tremendous opportunity for the church to step up to the plate. And I believe that the church is stepping up to the plate. And I think that there is an openness to the gospel that is, has come in, that has come in our towns, in our cities, in our neighborhoods, in part because people have seen the church in action. I was listening to um, one of, in fact, one of our, our Muslim counselors. 
um, speaking in Birmingham. And he said if it wasn't for the church, many agencies would just, would just cease. There would be lots and lots of stuff that simply wouldn't happen. This is a tremendous opportunity for us to make our mark. What I love about this scripture is, is that for me, it's a call to three things. Firstly, it's a call to social justice. Verse six. It's not this the kind of cho- fast I've chosen. To loose the chains of injustice. To untie the cords of the yoke and let the oppressed go free. Now, I know as Pentecostals, when we think of the oppressed, we tend to immediately think of those who are demonized. But that's not what it's talking about here. It's talking about those who are facing social oppression because of their poverty and because of the circumstances they are finding themselves in. And what the prophet is saying here is that if you're going to fast and you're going to commit yourself to drawing closer to God, guess what? You also need to commit yourself to drawing closer and standing in the shoes of those who are suffering injustice in your town as well. One of the things I love about the ministry of Jesus is, is that he was deeply concerned about the injustice in his day. It's the reason why he was always at odds with the Pharisees. Because he saw the Pharisees and he saw that the Pharisees sought to keep people down. But Jesus was about lifting people up. The Pharisees had created these laws and these rules and there's regulations. And people just felt like they were under the thumb. Do you know there are people today in our society and they feel exactly like that? There are so many rules and regulations they don't know where to turn. I think sometimes our, our children, our young people in school feel like that. I was talking to, to my niece um, the other day. She came to, to visit. Now, she goes to a, a really, really good school in a, a really, really good part of the UK. But I listen to the pressure that she is under because of examinations at such a young age. And I thought, gosh, when I was a kid, we didn't have anything like that. I don't really remember doing a proper examination until I went to secondary school. And she's been doing these things since she was seven, eight, nine, ten years old. People feel like they're under the thumb. And it was the same in Jesus' day. But Jesus said to them this, come to me, all you who labour and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me. For I am gentle um, and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. God has called us to help those who are suffering injustice. Second thing I want to say about this whole area of injustice is that sin comes in many forms. It comes in the form of personal sin. But I want to suggest to you tonight that it also comes in the form of systemic sin. There can be sin in the system. There can be sin in society that so affects people that people almost feel like a ground to a halt. And that was certainly the case here. And this is what the prophet was point, pointing out to them. That actually there is injustice. And you have people who feel like they're tied up in knots 
by a yoke of oppression. And it's time you let them go free. Now, if we look today at our system and we would say, well, you know, the banking system has been pretty sinful. It's lent money to people that they knew they couldn't pay back. The loan shark industry, absolutely terrible. Maybe some of you tonight have experienced some of what it has been to to be in debt. And it is like having a yoke around your neck. At times, the police force has been in the papers because of injustice. But what about our education system? Let me read you some statistics. Getting towards 5,000 children and young people in this country each year are permanently excluded from school. Permanently excluded. Cast out and said, we don't want to see you again. Some 300,000 fixed-term exclusions are given to children and young people in this country each year. And 4,000 of those fixed-term exclusions are given to children under the age of six years old. Now, I don't know about you, but, but that one just breaks my heart. Before a child has had even a chance to begin to learn in a mainstream environment, they're being told, you're not, you're not well-behaved enough, you stay at home. And actually, that was the beginning of our journey. But actually, we were seeing, at that point, young people. And they were coming to our church in Bradford. And they were coming on a Friday night. And they were coming to youth club. And on Saturday night, they'd come to the kind of community burger bar that we'd kind of set up. And they'd eat their burger and chips. And then they'd come on Sunday night and they'd be throwing stones at the window. And we thought, Monday morning, they'll all be going to school, except they weren't. There were loads of kids out there who simply had dropped out of school. And the local authority was failing them and didn't know what to do. And so we began to roll our sleeves up and began to work with those kids. And that was the beginning of the vision of TLG that we opened our first alternative education centre in Bradford. No one told us how to do it. There was no blueprint how to do it. But the council saw what the church was doing and said, we've got loads of kids like this. Can we send them to you? Can you work with them? And today I'm pleased to say that we've got 12 schools working around the country kind of here working with these children and we just I could tell you story after story of change and transformation in those children's lives in fact right at the end if if we can play there's another video um it's just named Zainab and I'd like to play it right at the end um so if you can pick that up on my little dongle that would be absolutely brilliant and set it up for the end when I um when I speak issues of justice and the church not in vain your labor in the lord is not in vain and there will be moments when it will feel tiring there will be moments where you wonder where is where where is the fruit coming from but i just want to encourage you to keep 
on going. You will reap if you do not faint. God is with you. And if God is for you, then who can be against you? And so finally then, the final verses of these verses, of, of, this, of, of this chapter from 10 um, says this. Then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land. And then verse 12 says, your people will rebuild the ancient ruins. They will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called repairer of broken walls and restorer of streets with dwellings. When I came into this meeting tonight, Pastor Christian says, every, every meeting that we have, everything we do in this church is outward facing. Tonight is the one night where we, we're, we're going to be a bit more inward facing. And Mike Royal comes along and he kind of tells you, actually, I want you to do a bit more of the outward. But you know what? You're absolutely on the right page. Keep looking outward. Keep looking beyond the four walls of this place. And as you do that, God will, will bless you and he will add to your number those who will be saved. What I want to do now to you is right at the end is to play the story of Zainab. I want to say Zainab... Um, came to, to us as a young, broken girl, came to our centre in South London. And I just want her to tell the story. And when she's finished, I'll quickly tell you what she is doing now. So if we could play the Zainab video, that would be fabulous. How intelligent I was, she made sure everything that she knew I had an insecurity about, she was on top of it. Because she didn't want me to end up how they assumed I would end up. She took me as her own. She did not take me as a student, she took me as a child. 
I just remember having a Bible that my cousin had given to me years ago. For some reason, I never threw it away. And I just started reading. I didn't know why I was reading. I just continued to read. And for once in my life, it all made sense. He waits until that moment where you realize that you're his. And he opens his arms and he welcomes you right back home. He's a parent that just never seems to let go. He's able to revive you from the person who you were. It's just been really nice being able to share. And even whilst I'm sharing, I look back and I'm really grateful for the fact that I'm here. They're so interested in the fact that, wow, you've gone through all of that and you're here teaching us. Why would you come back? I don't think it's possible if none of us were Christians. I just want to thank the teachers that <laughs> put up with me. All I can say is thank you. She's now a staff member, but actually she's moved from the centre she was and she's gone with her church, who just started this September, a new TLG centre in South London, in, um, in Lewisham, and she's part of that team. And that's, that team is taking more young people than they have capacity for. And um, Zainab last year was out in Ghana, taking a group of children from centres all over the UK to Ghana to experience some social action over a two-week period, and she was absolutely fantastic. God has totally, totally transformed her life. Sorry, I all I occasionally forget to, to kind of use this, but uh, it's just an amazing story of transformation. And do you know what? God is doing that all over the country, and perhaps, who knows, he might do it here in Ilkeston too. Thanks so much for listening, and God bless you all.